So I hear your theme this year is together. All right, I'm glad we believe in that. That's good. Uh, we want to be together. Uh, I want to share a quote with you that will lead into what we're going to talk about today. It's this, and I think it goes along with this theme of together. We cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. Isn't this the battle of Christianity? This is so important. We cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. So this this begs the question. uh, It brings about the question naturally, well, who are you? What is your identity? As you have this theme of together, uh, it's good to think for some moments, well, who am I and who are we collectively? What is my identity? And the good news is the Apostle Peter answers this question for us. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Or 1 Peter chapter 2. If we want to say it that way. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's turn there. What is your true identity? And today we will address the identity crisis. You may not think you're in a crisis. Maybe you're not. I hope you're not. But uh, we do have an identity crisis Often, as we attempt to live this life of following Jesus, the identity crisis. And for me, one of my biggest struggles, and you hear this word a lot, uh, it's not so well defined, but I think you know what I mean. I can get stuck. I just get stuck. And I can be stuck in my ways. Uh, stuck in insecurity, uh, stuck in pessimism, stuck in my outreach, uh, stuck in the way I view the church. Have you ever felt the way these animals look? <laughs> That's what it is to be stuck. So maybe you can relate. This is how sometimes these church-going people, like many of us, we, 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 we feel like this. This is what we're going through. Uh, this could describe perhaps your family right now. Or your parenting. Or your job. Or your finances. Or your relationship with God. Or, as I said earlier, the way you view church and, and what we do here together. Our expectations. So we go through the motions. We can just start grinding it out. It's becoming a place where we're stuck and we only think about and measure everything by the victories of long ago. So why do we get stuck? If I could answer that in 30 minutes... Boy, Jesus would come back. So, but we're going to give it a shot here. And Peter helps us in First Peter chapter two. We'll get there in a moment. But why do we get stuck? We we we've heard many sermons. Uh, we've been to conferences. Most of us meet together on a consistent basis. I would hope most of us read our Bibles and pray regularly. But we can still behave like teenagers in the faith. Teenagers in the faith stuck in spiritual adolescence. You know, our teens, uh, they're at teen camp now, many of them. 
And continue to pray for them that that time that those seeds will be scattered on their hearts, will be watered, and God will make it grow. We have preteens uh, at camp, and that is just phenomenal. We're so thankful for so many that are serving because this is such an important time in their life to start figuring out what they believe and what their faith is, what they're going to believe in. And I think if you're a parent or if you spend any time around young people, uh, you know around age 11, 12, 13, preteens, teens, they start getting into this developmental crisis. I'm sorry, we're going to just talk about you while you're in the room. We talk about the old people too, we have major issues. Most of them physical, but you know, other things are both. But there is a developmental crisis as they get older, children strive to find out who they really are apart from their parents. So if you're experiencing that now with your children, this is normal. Don't lose your mind. They're trying to figure out who they are apart from us. And they crave to be known for something. They want an identity and they want a reputation of some sort. And many times... A bad rep is better than no rep at all. I just want to be known for something. And, and apologies to us as parents, we can't take it too offensively. Sometimes a, a rep that's different from their parents is very important to them. They want something different. They want to be known. And that's why teens experiment with different styles of clothes, music, hobbies, friends. If you're anything like me, when I was a teenager, you will even they will even begin to rehearse how they will walk. <laughs> I had to have a walk. Yeah. You know? Because that becomes a part of you. You know, people are looking and it's part of your persona and the way you walk. So I don't really have I, I, I'm still a teenager. I'm still figuring it out. I will not dance either. I'm not lost. None of that stuff. Okay. So if you've seen this movie, uh, Paddington 2, a good example if you've seen the movie. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil just a little part of it. But there's a, a son in there. He's part of the Brown family, Jonathan Brown. And uh, he's a teenager. And he loves building steam engines and trains, but uh, he's really into that. But that must remain a secret. No one must know. Yeah. Among his circle at school, especially. So at school and in public, he is not Jonathan. He must be known as J Dog. <laughs> J Dog is his identity. So he wears J Dog gold chains, J Dog clothes, uh, hip hop style. He has J Dog sunglasses. There's a J Dog bump handshake that's done in a specific way in public. You see, J Dog is not really who he is, but he's in the middle of this identity crisis, right? So teens face this, pre-teens face this, all this in a quest to find out who they really are. Yeah. Now here's the kicker. Research has shown that a human being does not, if a human being does not construct this personal, logical identity for themselves that fits, 
If they don't do that at a younger age, then that person will struggle interacting with people in the world around them the rest of their lives. It's going to be a challenge. They'll be stuck. They'll be confused about who they are if it's not molded early on. Stuck. Stuck as a teenager one day in an adult's body. So, you know, it's... It's awkward. It's it's the guy who's 50, 60 year old wearing the skinny jeans, you know? <laughs> if that's you, it's, kind of it's, it's, it's sort of awkward. Either skinny or the saggy ones, you know? Yeah. I saw that the other day in Edinburgh. Oh, wow. Wow. A dude that looks like me, but just older, with the saggy jeans. What's going on? So, stuck as a teenager in an adult's body, and sadly, many of us as Christians can be stuck in a teenage faith. I mean, we get baptized, and we get the basics, but we remain stuck in a time warp. And it's even how we talk, and how we view things, how we view life, how we view the church, and we never mature. We don't know, or we've forgotten who we are. So we get stuck. We, we, we just continue to deny ourselves. With no joy. Where's the joy? We, we, we don't have the growth. We're, we can be easily discontent with the church. And so it's, it's not just the teens. It's the adults. Spiritually speaking. We all crave this identity. We want to be known for something. And that's how we're built as human beings. We will get to the scripture. But I just wanted to set this up. Now, here's some of the places that we go for identity. These are very common. There are many more than these, but we chase it. We chase identity. We do it with our career. When the job becomes not just to pay the bills and serve others, but it strokes the ego. And especially, I I feel like as a man, I feel that. It it becomes that. We're we're now willing to work those 80-hour weeks because we're trying to prove something. Or we jump as men from career to career chasing this dream. Because it's so much part of our identity. It becomes the master of our identity. I, 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 that's been a big challenge for me. It's been exposed so much in my life since I've moved to Edinburgh. It's just, what does success look like as a minister? When my church isn't like out front and it's just awesome to everybody. Because there, there's just all this production that's happening. That, that it's, it can be measured on a sheet somewhere, but it, it's challenging for me. It reveals what's going on in here and who am I? Who do I belong to? What's this all about? Uh, we can do that. We can go to relationships and we can envy the friendships of others in a romantic sense. Uh, in the world, women stay with horrible boyfriends because it's their identity. Or I've seen single men who are Christians, single women who are Christians. They will leave God because their identity is more wrapped up in a romantic relationship and the ideal of a marriage. 
It's possessions, it's having the expensive gadgets, the newest gadgets, it's an expression of who you are, it's, it's hobbies, you know, for me, I love sports. Easily becomes my identity. I mean, if you think about it for a second, how crazy is it that grown men wear the kits of other grown men with their name on the back? Come on. I mean, I love sports and all, and I have one of those. <laughs> but it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, like, in a place called a jersey. You have the jersey of another grown man with his name on the back. Kind of weird. But that's identity. Uh, citizenship, race, the name or acronym in front of your church. Our children, our family, we can all look to these for identity. And we certainly go to great lengths, some of us, to promote what our identity is on social media. Oh, yeah. So, bottom line, nothing on this list is going to give you fulfilling identity. It's going to be the great chase. It never ends. So what's your true identity as a Christian? What's the true identity of this church in Birmingham? Finally, you know, God has much to say about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful lights. Once you were not a people. Or in other words, once you had no lasting identity. But now, you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Remember the quote from the beginning, we cannot consistently behave in ways that are different from what we believe about ourselves. Look at verse 11. So, with this identity, dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, to abstain from sinful desires. Because that's who you are, right? You abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. They may see, not these things before on the previous slide, but they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So for many of us, this is a familiar passage. At some point in time, for many of you, someone taught you this scripture, you taught it to someone else. The danger can be is that we only have one piece of this scripture, or only one view, perhaps an adolescent view of this scripture. And we read it only through the lens of how we first read it. Right? Here's what I mean. We can focus only on where we are rather than who we are. Where we are, that's an awesome part of the scripture. It's really a sub point, but it's an incredible one. Yes, amen. By the blood of Jesus, you cross from darkness to light. There is no twilight zone. It's darkness, it's light. If you've been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you stepped over from darkness to light. That's where you are now. Now, the scripture tells us that, but it's only a sub-point. The Holy Spirit here also reminds us in this passage who you are. It's who you are now. It's your identity. It's your Christian passport. You know, my passport is very valuable to me. 
as coming over from the United States, I, I need that passport. Uh, it's asked many times for proof to get in and out of the country, to uh, retrieve things that are supposed to belong to me. I have to prove who I am with this passport. So if you had a Christian passport, this is the identity that would be inscribed on it. This is your identity. This is what you would show at spiritual border patrol. This is the identity of all whose citizenship is in heaven. So, as I share with you today, I don't know most of you personally. I don't know your stories. I don't know what you're going through right now. Many of you, I don't even know your names. But based on the Word of God, I do know this about you. If you've been baptized into Christ, you're God's possession. And He has works prepared in advance for you to do. You belong to God. You are God's servant. You're holy. You're pure. You are the bride of Christ. That's what I know about you. You're a child of God. You have literally... God's DNA inside of you. The Holy Spirit. You're a priest. You can enter the most holiest of places. And just like me, you're a refugee in Birmingham. Doesn't matter what color, where you're from. Come on. Your identity now is you're an immigrant. Yeah. That changes our perspective. And last but not least, you're an ambassador. You represent the creator of the universe. You declare his praises. So that's what's on your passport if you're a Christian. That's extraordinary. That's what we have to remember. Your citizenship is in heaven. Now, I just appeal to you, live up to what you've already attained. And let's live it together. Now, this is important. We have to embrace our identity, but why? I've shared some of the why, but maybe this will help you out. Number one, why do we do this? Well, it will impact how we live each day. And we've mentioned that earlier. If you know who you are, you'll... Behave that way more often. It doesn't feel like faking it. It doesn't feel like denying yourself, right? It's who you are. So it will impact you whether you're at home, at work, at school, on the mobile with a bill collector who's done you wrong. It will impact the way you live on social media. If we embrace our true identity, every day we will live out who we really believe we are. Also, if you embrace your identity as a Christian, it will set you free from proving yourself. And you'll actually do more than what you're doing. It purifies motives. It sets us free. And and, and I know all of us, if you're anything like me, you just long, long to be set free, to get those handcuffs of Proving Christianity just torn off. 
It'll help your relationships. You know, when I get stuck in performance-based Christianity, I'm hard on myself. But as it usually works, those who are hard on themselves are very hard on other people. They may not tell you, but they're having problems with this, right? So I'm highly punitive. I'm highly critical of other people. Inside the church, outside the church, at the occasional politician, I don't know why. <laughs> Living in America, I could not even figure that one out. It's a mystery. No idea. But, yeah, inside the church, outside the church, and, and that's an ugly place to be. It hurts God, it hurts me, it reflects poorly on the church. But when I understand who I am in Christ... This sets me free. And I need to remember this every day. I get highly motivated to live out that reality of my true identity. But I think the biggest reason, it's the third one here, the biggest reason to claim your true identity is this honors God. That's what it's all about. It's... I mean, it could, these things could all stroke our ego, make us feel better about ourselves, enjoy life and the church more, have a happier family. But all that's here. This honors God. In the big picture, your new identity is not just all about you. It originates from God and this new identity, it glorifies God. And you look again at verse 9, it reads, That you may declare the praises of Him. It's about Him. And when you discover or rediscover who God has made you to be, our response is not, well, how great we are, or how great this church is. It's... It's seizing this true identity. We are compelled to declare the praises of a great, extraordinary, unbelievable, creative God who loves us. So together, the theme, we're in this together. We have this unique identity together. You want to conform to something and conform to a group? Conform to this identity. We're all unique in the eyes of God, but we share the same identity in Christ. And it's, ex- it's exciting. As you, you have your times of, of studying out the body of Christ and making that stronger here in Birmingham. Of, of coming together in ways that you never have before. It's exciting. It's, it's an adventure. It can be inspiring as you... Move forward and think, what is the unique identity in Birmingham for our church? What are people going to see us as? What are we going to be known for? It's an opportunity. I did want to warn you. You have an enemy who hates this identity. Oh yeah, tell us. He's one of the reasons that you forget about this identity. Alright, we have this lying, deceitful enemy. He whispers in your ears. It's not a person. It's not someone in this room. It's not flesh and blood. 
Peter describes it in 1 Peter 5.8 later in this letter. It's this vicious lion. On the crowd, watching, waiting, scheming to absolutely gut your identity in Christ. Wanting nothing more than for you to go through the motions. If He can't stop you from getting to heaven, at least He's going to make your life miserable until you get there. And totally cut your legs where you're ineffective. John 10.10 tells us that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. Destroy who we belong to. Destroy our identity. He wants nothing more than to steal the honor from God. Take it for Himself. My family, this summer, we made a trip to southern Germany. We were in Munich. And one of the first places we went, now we did go to a lot of happy places, but you know, my son was studying the Holocaust in school. And he's like, I really want to learn about this. I want to take this opportunity to go. So uh, the first concentration camp and the one they modeled all the ones after on was in Dachau, which is right outside of Munich. And it was just, it was horrifying. It, it, it was sobering. You're looking around at all the other human beings as we're going through this tour and we're going, wow, the darkness in our hearts of where we can go. These were human beings that did this to other human beings. This is the capacity of a dark heart, of darkness. It's the capacity of people who are struggling with their own identity to squash other people and their identity. It's this fear that Satan cultivates. Uh, There's a book on the topic of, many books, but one that I wanted to refer to, a book on the topic of the Holocaust called Witness. And the content of this book, it's candid interviews with the Jewish prisoners who survived uh, the Nazi concentration camps. And one of the goals of the Nazis was to destroy the identity of these people, one by one. Demoralize the prisoner. If you could take away their identity, you demoralize them. They won't fight back anymore. They'll pull back. They'll get resigned to where they're at. You, you attack the identity of each prisoner. They have no motivation to fight back, to incite a rebellion. So as soon as the prisoners would come in, they didn't have a surname, a first name anymore. They became a number. So they forced the prisoners to live the remainders of their lives in misery without an identity. And this is the quote that speaks to me. I, one of the prisoners said, I had no name anymore, a number. That was it. And so they, the Nazis would deliberately distort the reality of their prisoners. And Satan would do this with us, right? Satan wants us to live in a defeated way. We're just another member of the church for another year going by. Doing the same things, denying ourselves. Right? Stuck in spiritual adolescence. 
So Satan attacks us with this scheme, and, and he succeeds quite often. Because when we don't understand our identity, we don't live the reality of who we really are. We're stuck as spiritual teenagers. And I want to encourage you today, reclaim your identity. Take it back. It's yours. It's been given to you. If you're not yet a Christian, let's discover Christianity together. If you're unsure of where you stand with God, let someone here help you out. Maybe your Christian passport has expired. Maybe you are not sure you ever had one. That's why we need each other. Help each other figure this out. So, and what are you waiting? It doesn't have to be complicated either. It's much faster than getting a process of of a visa or a passport uh, here. I'm sure, and all the bureaucracy. this can happen today. Yeah, if we believe the Bible and how conversions happen, it doesn't have to be a hundred Bible studies. You just need to know the basics and say, I want to be God's son. I want to be God's daughter. I want that identity. Give it to me. Help me. That can happen today. You're not a number. You have a reborn identity. You are a child of God, a chosen people, a priest, a bride. You're God's servant, designed for unique, incredible work. He has great plans for you. Remember, you are an immigrant in this country. Let's live like that. You're God's personal ambassador. That's your identity in this world. You have to believe. Based on God's Word. If you believe God's Word and who you really are, Your best days as Christians are right in front of you. Now, of course, we have Jesus to thank for all of this. So as we prepare to share communion together, remember the name of Christ, as simple as it sounds, the name of Christ is wrapped up in what we call ourselves, Christians. That's who we are. We're named after Him. And I love the scripture in John 13, the night Jesus was arrested. It really describes the mindset and the confidence of Jesus in his identity. John 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, then he was able just to serve like a slave and wash his disciples' feet. And really, he was the one in mourning, and he was about to get arrested and, and died his horrible death. But because of his identity and knowing who he was, he could just move forward and do what God wanted him to do. There's no identity crisis with Jesus. All right, that's who we follow. No identity crisis. He knows who he is. Jesus knows where he's from. He knows who he belongs to. He knows his DNA. He knows his father. He knows what he needs to do. And he knows where he's going. That's a man who knows his identity. And so, based on knowing who he really is, he can take action. 
With confidence, Jesus would scorn the shame of the cross. And he would die for the sins of mankind. Past, present, future. Scorn the shame because he was confident in who he is and who he belongs to. And then he rises from the dead and he tells his followers, without even so much as flinching, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go reproduce me. So if you're a Christian, as we remember Jesus this morning, that's the man you follow. That's the ultimate identity the Holy Spirit wants all of us to claim. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You that we can call You our Father. Thank You that we can have this intimate relationship with You. Thank You for uh, calling us to You. We've done nothing to deserve it. And yet You love us and consider us worthy of saving. Worthy of restoration. Worthy of... Just molding us into the image of your Son. Even as we were enemies of you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. I pray that we're excited about that and remembering who we are. God, help us to live out the lives that you placed in front of us with this confidence that you live inside of us. And that we belong to you. We love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We remember him at this time. He's amazing. We're so thankful we get to carry his name with us. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.